and kids, uh, they're not able to be with me this time as school started and things have kicked into full gear there. But uh, we're kind of based in Roanoke, Virginia right now as our two oldest kids are moving there. Thankful that, uh, to be with you this morning and to open God's Word together. We're thankful for your support and support of a book that we just published or we're in the process of publishing right now. Thankful for your prayers for our ministry these many years. And so it's great to fellowship with you and look, to, look forward to speaking with more of you tomorrow at the, at the picnic. But this morning I want to focus on something that uh, is of utmost significance to us as believers, uh, as a church. And in fact, uh, our brother talked about it this morning in Sunday school. But I want to talk about the mission of the church. It was in 1636 that a new college was founded. And it was established for the purpose of training pastors and missionaries. A few years later, in 1639, the school took on the name of its first benefactor, the Reverend John Harvard, as he donated upon his death his entire library and half of his estate. And then a few years later, in 1643, the school's mission statement read this, Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well that the main end of his life and his studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. John 17, 3. And therefore, to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Now, that was the mission statement of Harvard University. And as we look at the school today, we see how it's completely gone off mission. It's completely drifted from its founding purposes to train pastors and missionaries, preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we as Christians aren't mindful of the mission that God has called us to, our church and we as individuals can also go off course, go off mission. And so this morning I'd like to direct our attention to Matthew 28, where we want to look at Christ's mission for the church. And it's known as the Great Commission. It's the Great Commission because it's the sum of Christ's teaching, Christ's mission for the church that each of us as members of the body of Christ are to live by. And if this is truly the mission of the church, it means that it must be one of the most important passages in all of the New Testament. It's a passage that we should live and die by as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. But what's sad is uh, I came across, when I was preparing for this message, I came across a survey that was done by George Barna last year in March of 2018. He published the results of a survey where he asked church-going, uh, churchgoers in America, if they've ever heard of the Great Commission. And 51% said they've never heard of the Great Commission. He, only 37% recognize Matthew 28 as being the key passage containing the Great Commission. And amongst evangelicals, uh, it was only a click better. Still only 60% had heard of the Great Commission. And if that's indeed true, then American churches are in a free fall. Because, because it shows that they don't even understand what their mission is as a church. I was talking to some missionaries in the last few years at, at some different missions conferences. Uh, mission Missionaries and missions leaders from different organizations. And all of them are telling me the same thing. That it's becoming increasingly difficult to recruit missionaries in American churches. They're telling me that now more missionaries are being sent from South America and from Asia than from the United States. Uh, and if this is truly the case, then American churches must wake up to the reality that they are gone off mission. 
that they have forgotten what Christ has ultimately called us to as Christians. I mean, the church that I grew up in uh, is now a driveway to, a, uh, to an apartment complex. At one point, the pastor, he took the church from 300 down to his, his, basically his family, sold the property, and they left a steeple on top and the cross on the front, and they painted the front pink and wrote, Ladies' Gym. It was a mockery to the name of Christ. In Europe, churches are now becoming mosques and fitness centers and bookstores. And so if we don't want to follow in such footsteps, we must hold fast to the mission that Christ has given to every one of us. The mission of your church, the mission of this church and of your life is found in our verses this morning. Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20. And most sermons you and I have probably heard, it's, you know, the focus is missions. And that's true. This, this uh, passage does talk about missions. It, uh, it has to do with evangelism. But it's much more than that. This passage is about how you are to live your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you don't really understand what Christ is calling for in this passage, then you really haven't even begun to live the life that Christ has intended for you. And so what we want to do here this morning is understand what Christ is calling for so that it will be central in our lives as individuals and central in the life of this church, unless we go off the rails. And so we want this passage, this passage must be the compass by which we chart out the course of our lives and ministry. But to set the context before we uh, will start reading in verse 16, we need to look at verse 6 where it says, He is not here for he has risen. So this is, it comes at obviously the end of Matthew's gospel. Christ had risen from the grave. And as we read in John's gospel that Christ revealed himself to his disciples in Jerusalem. And, uh, and this passage takes place. Uh, verses 16 through 20 takes place between that time when Christ has risen from the dead, had revealed himself to his disciples, and before his ascension. And so we want to look at uh, verses 16 through 18, where we see Jesus' last words as recorded by Matthew. Now, all of us know that when you only have a short time to be with someone, whether you're moving away or somebody's dying, you want those last moments to be the most remembered. You want the things that you say to be the things that the person most remembers. And Matthew ends his gospel with the words that are to, of Jesus that are to be most remembered. They're the words that are to be imprinted on the walls of our hearts and minds. And so and they tell us really the reason why we are on the planet. So let's begin by looking at verse 16. We'll read through verse 20 and then we'll break it down from there. In verse 16, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, verse 16, it's interesting that it's Matthew said that the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain that Jesus had designated. So that means that Jesus previously told his disciples to meet him on a mount, a particular mountain in Galilee. 
Uh, well, this must have been in Jerusalem when Jesus revealed himself to them. And he told them at that point to go to Galilee and meet him on a particular mountain. Now, we don't know what mountain this was in Galilee, but we know that significant revelation took place on mountains in the Bible. Uh, if you look at Sinai, Jesus, that God gave Moses the law, right? We look in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus preached his famous Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we look also uh, in the Gospels and we see the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus revealed his glory to some of his disciples. And here on this mountain, Jesus gives, reveals his mission for the church, his mission for believers for the ages uh, on, this, on this mountain. And so it was a very momentous meeting. It was a significant meeting. And then in verse 17, it says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Oh, that's the natural response to, to coming into the presence of the resurrected Christ. To fall down and to worship him. Which means to bow down before him in worship. But it's interesting that it says, But some were doubtful. Well, in verse 16, we just read, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee. Well, how could... Why would some of the disciples doubt Jesus, doubt him uh, as being the resurrected Messiah? Because in Jerusalem, when Jesus revealed himself to them, what did he, he do? He removed their doubts. Remember doubting Thomas? He revealed himself, look, my hands, my feet, my side. So what this indicates is that there must have been more disciples present than the eleven. Uh, because the 11 would have been those who bowed down to worship him. They were anticipating his uh, meeting with Jesus on this mountain. And so most likely this is, the, this is the occasion where Jesus revealed himself to the 500. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it said that at one time Jesus revealed himself to more than 500. Well, if you can imagine that when Jesus tells his disciples in Jerusalem to meet me on a mountain in Galilee, that... that they wouldn't have probably most likely kept that to themselves. They would have told other people, hey, we're going to Galilee. We're going to this mountain. Oh, what are you going to do on this mountain? Oh, Jesus said he's going to meet us there. And so they, there would have been much anticipation of what Jesus is going to do on this mountain. And what is he going to say on this mountain? And so this was most likely the occasion where Jesus revealed himself. And so amongst those people, there would have been people who were skeptical, right? There would have been people who were doubtful, but not the 11. And so most scholars believe this is the occasion where that took place where the, he revealed himself to more than 500. But it was here at this mountain where Jesus revealed his mission for those people and for you and I, for believers of all time, of all the ages, uh, and where he gave his great mission of, for the church as it's known today. And so what I want to do this morning is for the rest of our time, focus on verses 18 through 20, where we will see Christ's mission for the church. So that you as a body and as an individual will be steadfast in keeping on mission. Lest we stray from our mission as some churches and many universities were founded as Christian universities. We want to be faithful as believers and as a church body to stay on mission. And to do, to do that, I would like for us to remember, I would like for you to remember three important things. First of all, you must remember your authority. Secondly, you must remember your assignment. And, and thirdly, you must remember your assistant if we want to keep on mission. But first of all, if you want to keep on mission, you must remember your authority. In verse 18, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And as it was at this moment that Jesus is passing the torch 
his disciples to carry on the mission that he had already begun. And his basis for uh, giving them this mandate for the ages was his, his authority, his universal authority, by which he gave them a universal mandate. Notice here he says, all authority. That means that there is no authority that he doesn't possess. It means that his authority is complete, it's absolute, it's supreme, and that there is no kingdom or king or ruler that exceeds him in authority or power. In fact, the word authority means that he has the freedom and the right to speak and act as he pleases. And it's an unlimited authority. We know it's unlimited because it says here, all authority in heaven and on earth. If you remember back in Matthew chapter 4, Satan was offering Jesus the kingdoms of the earth. Remember, he was tempting Christ. Because that's all he had. That's all the authority he had. He had influence over the kingdoms of the earth. But Christ here says he has all authority in heaven and on earth. His his authority uh, extends beyond earthly authority, but even heavenly authority. That means there is no place where Christ's authority does not extend. All dominions, all principalities, all the powers of the supernatural world, all earthly thrones and kingdoms are in submission under his authority. And actually Daniel spoke of this authority in Daniel chapter 7 when he's speaking about the future coming uh, Messiah. He says uh, in his prophecy, uh, I, kept on, I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Jesus' authority is eternal. Uh, Jesus says here it was given to him. Well, who was it given by? Obviously, it was given to him by the Father. And so when we recognize Jesus' authority here, as he gives this great mission to to the saints for all the ages, it leaves no room for us to decide whether we're going to participate in his mission. Based on his supreme authority and power, we are under supreme obligation to fulfill the mission that he has given to us. And not only does he possess the authority, but he, has, he possesses the ability, the power to help us to carry out his mission, to carry out his marching orders. And so if we want to keep on mission, we must remember his authority and not live by our own authority. If you live by your own authority, then what Christ says will have little influence on how you live your daily life. But if you daily deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him and live in submission under his authority, uh, it will help you to keep on mission. So we need to daily remember that we are living under the authority of Jesus Christ. When we wake up each and every day, our mission for that day is to, to fulfill the commission that he has given us in the following verses. So secondly, if we want to keep on mission, we must remember the authority under which we live and serve and minister. And secondly, if you want to keep on mission, you must remember your assignment. And in verses 19 through 20, Jesus gives his disciples their assignment. 
And the primary verb, the primary command in these verses is to make disciples. Is go therefore and make disciples. Now in English, it looks like we have four commands. Uh, but actually there's one command and these other verbs are, are, are participles. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But the primary verb, the primary command in these verses is to make disciples. Uh, to become a disciple is not merely just becoming a Christian. It's not just going out and making converts. It's actually much more than that. Um, a lot of times uh, organizations, they want to keep track of, of, this, of people who make a profession of faith. You know, now they're, now they're Christians, now they're disciples. Well, we have to first of all understand, well, what is a disciple? A disciple is more than a convert. It's more than just saying, hey, I'm a Christian. Uh, when we look at the word disciple in the New Testament, it's actually only found in the Gospels and in Acts. And it was the f- term first given to followers of Christ, those who identified themselves with Jesus Christ. Uh, simply, uh, simply defined, a disciple is a learner. It's a student. Someone who attaches himself or herself to a teacher to learn from him and his teachings and his ways. At this time, it would have been to identify yourself, to attach yourself to a rabbi, uh, to learn from him, to follow him, and to be like him. And when Jesus first called his disciples, he said, follow me. And so they came, they followed him, they spent several years with him, learning from him, learning from his teaching, imitating the example of his life, and seeking to live out his purposes. And the ultimate goal was to be like your teacher. The goal of every disciple was to be like your teacher, to be like your rabbi. In fact, it was Jesus himself who said in Luke 6.40, A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. And that was the goal of Jesus' disciples, was to be like him. And so a disciple at this time was one who identified himself with Christ through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior. To become a disciple was to surrender to his lordship. By submitting your heart and mind and will to Him. And the ultimate goal was Christ-likeness. But when we think about discipleship, it's not just something that you wake up one day and say, you know, I, I want to I wanna learn more. No, it's something that God actually initiated in eternity past. Uh, it, it's something that God initiated to make you like His Son. In fact, we see that in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Paul wrote, For whom He foreknew, for whom He uh, Determined beforehand to know, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, a lot of times when people read these verses, they get all hung up, you know, who gets to go to heaven, who gets to go to hell, and there's a big controversy. But, but that's not what it's talking about. Notice uh, the purpose of, of, of God's uh, work of salvation in our lives. Is that for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There's reason number one. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. And secondly, that he might be the firstborn among many uh, brethren, that Christ would be preeminent among those he saves. And so the purpose of our salvation is that Christ would make us like him, that God would make us like his son, that we would be conformed to his image and likeness. And ultimately, if if we were to continue on in in Romans chapter 8, we would see that his ultimate purpose for us is our glorification. That we would ultimately be like Christ. And when you look at the ministry of the Apostle Paul, in Colossians 1.28, Paul says, And we proclaim him, admonishing every man, and teaching every man with all wisdom. Why? 
that we may present every man complete in Christ. Or you could translate that, we may present every man spiritually mature in Christ. That we would be like Christ. That is the goal in discipleship. That is the purpose of discipleship. That we would grow into maturity and into the image and likeness uh, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And discipleship is not something that is just focused upon your salvation. Uh, in, in the New Testament, discipleship, we see that the Lord is also focused on our sanctification. Discipleship is a process, a process of growth in godliness, growth in holiness, and growth in likeness to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's something that takes place over a process of time. Uh, it's not just merely, uh, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, I'm discipling somebody. I, we have coffee together once every two weeks. Well, discipleship is more than just completing a Bible course or more than having coffee with somebody, more than reading a book. Discipleship in the New Testament, when we look at Jesus, we look at Paul, it took place in relationships. Jesus' disciples, they followed him and they spent uh, a few years with him, learning from him, observing his, his life. It was to enter into a relationship with someone. And so when we look at Christ and how he made disciples, he called them, they followed to him, they submitted to his leadership and lordship, they traveled with him, they discussed issues together, uh, they learned from him. You look at the apostle Paul, same thing, he was always traveling with other men and teaching them, Timothy and Titus and many other young men, and it, it was something that took place over a process of years oftentimes. And so discipleship or discipling someone is, is to walk through life with them together, teaching them to interpret life and to respond to situations with the mind of Christ. It's to influence a person in a way that causes greater spiritual growth in their life, that causes them to grow more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So the question for you and me is, how is it going? How are we doing in helping others to grow more into the image of and likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we see here, as Paul says um, in verse 18, that we're under supreme authority. We're under supreme obligation. And how, how, so how are we doing in making disciples even in our own local body? Uh, to be discipled is to learn from someone who is wiser and more knowledgeable than you in biblical truth and to pass that and, and for someone to pass it on to another. Uh, and a lot of times we, a lot of churches need to focus on cultivating a culture of discipleship. And that's been our battle in Czech Republic for the last 11 years. In our church, we've been trying to develop a culture of discipleship that not only that we're discipling people, but people want to be discipled and that they want to disciple other people, that they in other words, that they want to be obedient to Scripture, that they want to be part of Jesus' command of making disciples. Uh, and it's taken a long, long time because in Europe, people don't want discipleship. They, they don't want to expose their weaknesses and their sins. But how can we grow if we're not willing to be open to someone and to allow them to confront us and encourage us and help us? Uh, that's part of the discipleship process. And obviously, the disciples... Their weaknesses and their sins and their pride was all exposed. And Jesus exposed that we can read about it in the New Testament. Because we need each other. We need each other in each other's lives. Uh, so that we will grow more into Christ's likeness. And ultimately, when we're thinking of discipleship, when we're thinking of the Great Commission, really the heart of the Great Commission is to reproduce in others what Christ has produced in you. Uh, and we see that in 2 Timothy 2, 
too, which we all probably know very well. It says, And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So it's from one generation of believers to another. We pass on the light of God's word, God's truth, from one generation to another. But you can't take people farther than where you are in your own spiritual life, obviously. And so if we're going to influence others, and if we're going to lead others and teach others to be more like Christ, then we need to be growing in our walk, in our relationship with Christ ourselves. Uh, And Mark Dever, he calls this uh, in his book on discipleship, the life, truth, life pattern. It's a process where he says, where your life should attract people to listen to you, And as they listen to you, your teaching should then work for their transformation. And then their transformed lives should illustrate what you were teaching them, which in turn attracts other people to listen to them. And so it's a a process uh, that multiplies itself and reproduces itself. But uh, it doesn't uh, doesn't take place just by reading a book or having coffee. It's life on life. It's it's being involved in each other's lives, having a relationship where we can be open. Uh, and so we can help sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. And if you notice in 13, uh, verse 19, Jesus said, go therefore. He, again, and make disciples. He's basing this, these commands. He's basing the assignment that he's giving his disciples on his authority in verse 18, uh, which obviously means uh, it's not optional. You know, you don't get to choose whether you are going to be discipled or discipling someone or not. That's that's not a choice that you have to make, that that you get to make. Jesus is basing this upon his supreme authority by which he commands us to make disciples. And so if you are born again, if you're a Christian here this morning, you are called to be involved in disciple making, which means you yourself are striving to grow more into Christ's likeness and more in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And at the same time, you're trying to help others do the same thing. And this is our mission. This is the mission of the church. And this is not just one of the many things that, is, that our church does. It's not just one of the ministries of our church. It, it is what the church does. That's our, primary, that's our primary ministry. That is our ministry as a church. And notice how Jesus says we're to do it. And to, to notice this, we have to look at the grammar a little bit. And so we have to understand that there are some participles here. And a participle is a verbal adjective. It describes the action of the main verb. The main verb in the Greek, which we can't see as clearly in the English, is to make disciples. And these participles, these verbal adjectives, describe how we are to go about making disciples, what that process looks like. And Jesus gave three words here. He says, we're to be going, baptizing, and teaching. This is how we as a church go about the process of making disciples. First of all, if we're going to make disciples, we must go. In fact, you can literally translate this, having gone. Uh, It's assumed if you're going to make disciples, that you must go. You You must get out. You must get off the couch, get out of the office, and go out into the world amongst people and preach Christ. Uh, we don't uh, just we disciple making is not something that we just do in Sunday school. No, it's something that we do in the world by proclaiming the gospel of Christ, so that people can come to know Christ. They can't become a learner, a disciple of Christ, if they first don't know Him. And so we're to be about sharing Christ, um, proclaiming to the gospel to those around us. 
And so it's something that begins in the world, but it continues after the person comes to Christ, after the person comes to salvation and believes uh, that we do in relationship by teaching them the word of God and teaching them uh, of Christ and, to, and, and teaching them his word. And, it, and so it, we must be going not only locally, but notice here, Jesus says, go therefore making, and make disciples of all nations. So it's something that begins where you are locally, and it's to extend to the ends of the earth. So the question is, is what are you doing at home? And what are you doing to make disciples? And what are you doing to make disciples of all the nations? Uh, well, I remember uh, several years ago, one of the former presidents of a Czech denomination told me that he didn't think that Czech churches should be sending out missionaries. He said the Czech Republic is in such a bad situation. It's an atheist country predominantly. Uh, and after that, it would be Roman Catholic. About 70% profess to be atheist. And, you know, that our community is so bad here. We just need to focus on our local community. And I was like, wow. I mean, that's not really not what Jesus said. Jesus said, yeah, start in Jerusalem. But then go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so if we want to be obedient to the Great Commission, it's not just about our community. It's not just about our Bible study. It's not just about our neighborhood. But we're, we need to be figuring out how can we make disciples of all the nations? How can we get the gospel to people who have never heard? And, if, and I was thinking about it. I thought, you know, if you think about the, the Christian population in Europe today, and think about the Christian population in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, when Paul was preaching and planting churches. I would venture to say that the, the percentage would not be much different. In Czech Republic, they estimate about a quarter of a percent would be born-again believers. And in much of Europe, the Christian population is less than 2%, which most missions organizations today declare an unreached people group, a, pop, a Christian population less than 2%. But at the same time, those churches are commanded by Christ to make disciples of all nations, not just Europe, but of all the nations. Why? Because there are still nations where they don't have a Bible. They don't have a verse translated into their language. They've never met a missionary. They've never heard of Christ. And they've never read one page of Scripture. And so it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Your mission, been given to you by Christ, is to make disciples of all nations. 18, uh, there was a missionary in 1800s, Jacob Chamberlain, who once said, Every church should support two pastors, one for the thousands at home and the other for the millions abroad. Why? Because, Christ, or because God's heart has always been to, for the nations. Israel was to be a light to the nations. You can start in Genesis and go all the way to Revelation and see God's heart for the nations. To see the nations acknowledge him as the true and living God, the creator of heaven and earth. And his mission has always been for the nations to know him and to exalt his name. And what do we see Christians doing today? You know, they're happy going out and having, sitting, having their little coffees and uh, sitting out on the lake and having their cookouts and going to sporting events. And, and you know what? All those things are okay. All those things in and of themselves are fine things to do. We, we do those with joy. But if our lives are just consumed by those things, if, if we just live for the trivialities of today... If we just live for the next event on our calendar and we're, and, our, and we're forgetting that there are people around the world going to hell who have never held a Bible in their hand, they've never seen one, they've never heard of John 3.16, they've never met a Christian, then, then we, should have, we should have a huge problem. Uh, we shouldn't be able to sleep at night knowing that we're not doing anything, we're not actively 
involved in trying to take the gospel to those people. And if that's you, then your gospel ship has gone off course and you're headed for the rocks because God wants you to remember that your mission is to get the gospel to those people who have never heard. There are hundreds of languages today. I don't even have one verse translated. There are people, there's thousands of people groups who have yet to hear the message of Christ. And when we recognize that, then all the things that we fill our calendars with and our times with really lose significance when we wake up to the reality of what's going on in the world. All the things that uh, bring us pleasure, all the temporary things and the entertainment we do, uh, we recognize are really rubbish in comparison to taking the glorious gospel, the transforming, life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have never heard. As Christians, we are to live for the eternal. Uh, This world is not our home. Paul said in in Philippians 3 that uh, our citizenship is in heaven. That means we're sojourners. We're on on a journey. And our goal is to take as many people with us as we can. But we must preach Christ and we must warn people of the perils of rejecting him. Charles Spurgeon once said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. I mean, how can we sit idly by, passively, uh, in our pews or in in our living rooms, knowing that people are on their way to a crisis eternity and we're not making any efforts to get the gospel to those people? So God wants us to be serious. He wants us to be serious about this this command. That's why Jesus started with his authority. You to go. You're to be going. It's assumed that you're going. Because if you're going to make disciples, you must be moving. You must be going forth. And you you must start where you are and then figure out a way to get the gospel to those people. And thankfully, your church has started doing that. Because I see you've got a wall of missionaries over here. But maybe you can be involved. Maybe God would have you go to be a missionary. Maybe God wants you to surrender to his call to go and take the gospel to a people who have never heard. I remember John MacArthur when we were in seminary, he used to tell us all the time. He said, men, he said, there's one thing you can't do in heaven. You know, in heaven you can worship, you can sing, you can eat, you can have fellowship, you can do lots of things in heaven. But there's one thing you can't do, and that's to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. Maybe, what are you, what are you willing to give up to serve God? What are you willing to sacrifice to take the gospel across the world to a people who hate God and will probably hate you, if you when you get there. But it doesn't matter if they hate you when you get there. God still wants you to go. And may, maybe God is calling you to do that. Every church should be about training pastors and preachers and missionaries to take the gospel to the ends of the earth so that all the peoples would praise him. Secondly, we see not only are we to be going, but baptizing. Uh, baptism is something that takes place after a person is converted. Uh, Baptism has never saved anyone. Uh, Baptism is something that we publicly do to identify ourselves with Jesus Christ. It's something that it's the first step of obedience after salvation. You you get baptized because you've already become a disciple, because you've already come to know Christ, and you're trying to grow more into conforming uh, to Christ. And you you are publicly baptized to demonstrate people that me and Jesus are one. I identify myself with Christ. My allegiance belongs to Him. And so, in the 
in the act of baptism, you're demonstrating that you've died to your sin and you've risen with Christ in newness of life. And you publicly declare yourself to be his disciple. It's interesting here in, these ver- in this verse, the, uh, what the Lord says, how the Lord reveals the, tr- the, the Trinity in this verse. He says, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's interesting because it says in the name, which is singular, but then you have with a definite article for each member of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, the word name in the singular demonstrates God's oneness, that God is one in God's name. We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is a plurality of, of the members of the Trinity. So we see the Trinity very clearly in this verse. God is one, but yet existing in three persons. Uh, and so Jesus here, he's calling them to be baptizing people in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean that, be, that, uh, that does not believe that a person becomes one with the Trinity in baptism. But it, what it means is that it signifies that a person has uh, a relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, you declare your allegiance to Christ. What Christ has done in your life to make you a new creation. And thirdly, and very significantly, not only are we to be going and we baptize people, which is a public demonstration to others of what becoming a disciple looks like. I know in, um, in a lot of pl- places overseas, maybe most places overseas, to, be, to become a Christian, to be converted to, to Christ, uh, to be re- regenerated, uh, that's one thing. You know, you declare to people, you know what? I've trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Uh, and you announce, I'm no longer Muslim. I'm no longer atheist. I'm no longer Catholic. I'm Christian. That's one thing. But, this, but to then be baptized is very significant. A lot of people are p- persecuted and killed because they were baptized. Because they understand. Because uh, it's seen in the world amongst unbelievers as like the ultimate commitment to Christ. That you are going to be publicly put underwater humbled and to show yourself that you live under his lordship and uh i have friends in croatia and we've seen in czech republic people who their families abandon them and persecute them all to be baptized but and so it's very significant that as we make disciples we are baptizing people because it's a public testimony uh, of our uh, submission to christ and then thirdly teaching uh this is important because uh a lot of times when you hear sermons on this passage, it's about going and making disciples and preaching the gospel, but we don't hear much about teaching. But Christ here says here, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so just because a person has come to Christ doesn't mean that's the end. That's, that's where ministry begins. That's where discipleship begins. Uh, but a lot of un- uh, missions organizations, unfortunately, today, you know, they keep track, uh, a record of, you know, how many hands are raised at a camp or how many people have made professions of faith. But for me personally, that doesn't mean anything. Because the mark of a true disciple is that he continues to learn and to grow into maturity. That's what we should be focused on. How many of those people are continuing to grow into maturity and to grow into likeness of Christ? And are involved in the life of the church? And when you look at missions today, sadly, most missionaries, I must say, that I know in Czech Republic, and observed in maybe some other places, most missionaries aren't even preachers. They're not even teachers. You know, they're working with kids in a camp. They're teaching English as a second language. And all those things are wonderful. 
But we, the church needs to be sending men who can preach and teach people all that I've commanded you. What is all that I've commanded you? That's the whole counsel of God, to teach them the commands of Christ, to teach them the word of God. And it takes somebody who's been trained, not just somebody who's like, oh, you know, I, I want to go reach a nation. It's like, well, you need to, re- oh, it's great, go reach a nation, but first be properly trained, be properly sent. Uh, you know, the, the mission field is filled with 20-some-year-olds who have a, a passion to reach the lost, but they've never been equipped. Their elders have never sent them. Maybe their church doesn't even know they're there. And I've seen some of these people in the Czech Republic. That's not God's plan. He wants us to teach them all that he has commanded, but we need to be equipped and, and to know what he's commanded in order to e- equip others. And so the mission of the church is not merely to make converts, but to teach them the whole counsel of God and, and to teach them to live the Christ life. And that takes place uh, by, like I said, personal relationships. You talk with a person, you teach them, you model for them, you encourage them, you help them to think biblically through decisions. And it takes time. It takes commitment. It, t- it requires providing direction and being an example to them. And it, and it is life on life. But you know what? Discipleship is more than just life on life. It's actually church on life. It's Bible study on life. Where we all are in this together. We're all uh, growing into Christ-likeness together as a body. Exhorting one another to grow more into Christ-likeness. And so this teaching all that I commanded you is comprehensive. and And all of us as a body are involved in helping one another to grow more into the likeness of Christ. And so to do that, we teach them, we first of all, must teach them how to study the Bible. I mean, how many Christians have never been taught how to study the Bible, how to, how to examine a passage? Uh, and we teach them the, to know the meaning of the text, to know what it says, and then how to live it out. And so discipleship, in a nutshell, is basically that you find somebody who knows more, understands the scripture more than you, and loves Christ more than you, and you try to learn everything you can from them. And then you try to find somebody who... Maybe knows less than you, has been, not been a believer very long, and doesn't understand much of Scripture. And you try to teach that person, encourage them, and teach them everything you've ever learned. And then once you've done that, then you try to find another person and help and encourage and teach them. Uh, the bi- biblical model is that the older men teach the younger men, the older women teach the younger women. Uh, and so uh, at the same time as you're learning from someone, you're teaching someone. So we're always involved in the process of discipleship. And that's discipleship in a nutshell as we look at the scriptures. Uh, And the ultimate goal of our discipleship is what again? Obedience to Christ. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. We teach them to accept what Christ has said, what he taught, and then to submit to it, and then to live to it. Brothers and sisters, this is our mission. And we must stay on task in making disciples and being discipled. And thirdly, if we want to keep on mission, you must remember your assistant. Remember your authority, remember your assignment, and lastly, remember your assistant. Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with you in the process of disciple making. You can be assured that Christ's hand is in your labors if you're being faithful to carry out his commission here. Because he says, and lo, that's an emphatic expression calling attention to what follows. He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we are partners with Christ in fulfilling the mission that he's given to us. And as believers, it's both a comfort to know he's with us, 
But it's also necessary, isn't it? Because it's not something that we can do on our own. Uh, David Livingston, speaking at the University of Glasgow in 1896, he said, Would you like me to tell you what supported me through all the years of exile among a people whose language I cannot understand and whose attitude toward me was always uncertain and often hostile? It was this. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He said, on these words, I staked everything and they never failed. Jesus cares about the work that you and I are doing in discipleship and disciple making. And he wants us to succeed and he's with us. And if we would walk with him and live in the light of his presence and live out his word, then he will use you to make disciples beyond what you could really imagine. But you know what? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Lance, uh, I've gone off mission or I've never been on mission. I've never been involved in discipleship. I've never been discipled. I've never discipled anyone. Well, this passage is not just for me. This passage is not for missionaries only. This passage is for you. This passage is for every Christian of all time, of all ages. And how do we know that this, this mission is not just for the disciples at this time, you know, to go out and make disciples, spread the gospel beyond Jerusalem? Because of the very last phrase. He says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The people that Jesus spoke these words to are no longer here, are they? They're no longer alive. So the only way for Jesus' mission to be fulfilled even to the end of the age is for you and I to be involved in disciple making. For us to be active. This is the mission for all believers in every age. And so the question is, is who are you discipling? And who is discipling you? And who needs to hear the gospel that you know, neighbor, co-worker, relative, whoever around you who could become a disciple if they would hear the gospel, if you would share it with them? God wants you and I to be continually growing more into his likeness and leading other people to know him so they can grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Our life should be about helping others to be Christ-like, to be godly. And it takes place in relationships and living out the Christian life. And as we live that out and influence and impact people's lives, they'll be quicker to listen to what we have to say as we try to teach them the word of God and to teach them the gospel of Christ so they may know him. So the question is, is what does your life look like? Is it Christ-like? Would somebody define you as Christ-like? Because you're going to have a hard time per, uh, persuading someone to follow you, to be a follower of Jesus, if you live other than what you're preaching. There was a missionary in India many years ago. And one day he found a Hindu scholar. He asked this scholar if he would teach, them, teach him the native language because he wanted to reach the natives and he was limited in just speaking English. And he asked the Hindu scholar, will you teach me your language? And the Hindu scholar replied, he said, no, Sahib. I understand Sahib like a term of respect and honor. And he goes, no, Sahib, I will not teach you my language. He said, you would make me a Christian. And the missionary said, but sir, he said, you misunderstand me. I'm just simply asking you to teach me your language, the language of your people. And the Hindu again responded and he said, no, Sahib, I will not teach you my language. No man can live with you and not become a Christian. The question for us is, is when people look at us, do they see Christ? Do they see someone who loves Christ 
uh, and he was calling others to do the same. Because we're never going to be effective in discipleship unless we are known as those who love and live as Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for the opportunity to look at this important passage. And Lord, maybe there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you. They've never surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They've never trusted you to forgive them of their sins and to give them eternal life. And Lord, I pray that if that's the case, that today would be the day of this person's or person's salvation. And Lord, I just pray that you would use this passage in our lives, Lord, to awaken us to the mission that you've called us to. Lord, to to be involved in disciple-making, being discipled and discipling others, Lord. As we know that from 2 Timothy 2.2, that's how we're to live the Christian life. And Lord, I just pray that um, you would uh, use this passage in our lives, Lord, to lead us to maybe ask our pastor or elder or someone that we know and respect, if, Lord, will you teach me what it's like to be like Jesus, to know Christ in a greater way, so that not only I can know him, but so that I could also help others. Lord, I pray that uh, this church would be known as a disciple-making church, a church that lives and looks like Jesus Christ. Lord, I just thank you for this time together this day to open this passage, and I pray that you'd use it in our lives for uh, your glory and for the building of this church. And I pray in Christ's name. Amen.